space, no one can hear you scream like a little girl. He doesn't scream like a little girl, though. That's a direct quote from him in the book. Is it? Yes. What book are we talking about? The Martian. Oh, no! By Andy Weir. Cold open. (laughs) We went there. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Soon to be a Major Motion podcast. I am Billy Beck. I am Cody Beck. And this is our episode on Andy Weir slash Ridley Scott's The Martian. I didn't know it was Ridley Scott. I had forgotten. Oh, no. Oh, it's it's one of those ones where, like, he does a good movie, then a bad movie, and then he alternates. This is one of his good ones. It's fine. Then he did, like, Prometheus, or he did Prometheus before. Oh, no, I'm going to get some hate for saying that. Oh. People like that movie. Uh, and I think they're wrong. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what is your experience with The Martian? It's going to be a little different from... Uh, Princess Bride, considering the book came out in, like, 2013. Yeah, um, my introduction to this book was, you read it, I don't remember why, and you said, you should read this book, and then you proceeded to tell me about it every time you read a portion of it, so I felt like I had already read it by the time I actually read it, and then I think somewhere in there, the movie got announced. Yep, yeah, pretty much, um, uh, the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show did an episode where I think he interviewed Andy Weir. Of course it was a podcast. And of this course was it was. Andy Weir's first book, by the way. It's, it's incredible. It's such a good book. So I read it for that podcast because he explicitly said, read the book before we listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure. So I read it via Audible. Because um, I don't like to use my eyes. And then when the movie came out, we saw it at that $2 theater that used to be up the street. Really? That's yeah. what I remember seeing it in theaters, but I thought we saw it, like, when it came out, not Oh, later. no, it was it was second run, it was in that $2 theater, and it was a great experience that night, and then I think I watched it one more time when the Blu-ray came out, and hadn't seen it for a couple of years. I saw it when it when we watched it, and I have not seen it since. Yep. So, uh, shall we get into the spoilery, plot-driven part of the show? Absolutely. This is going to be really interesting, because... I remembered the book differently, probably because I was remembering things from the movie. Every human being has a basic instinct to help each other out. If a hiker gets lost in the mountains, people coordinate a search. If an earthquake levels the city, people all over the world send emergency supplies. This instinct is found in every culture without exception. At around 4.30 a.m., our satellites detected a storm approaching the Ares 3 mission site on Mars. The storm had escalated to severe, and we had no choice but to abort the mission. But during the evacuation, astronaut Mark Watney was killed. I'm entering this log for the record. This is Mark Watney, and I'm still alive. Obviously. I have no way to contact NASA or my crewmates, but even if I could, it would take four years for another manned mission to reach me, and I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. So. In the face of overwhelming odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. 
Let's do the math. I gotta figure out how to grow four years worth of food here on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, none of this matters anyway. Houston, be advised. We've got a video message. It's directed to the whole crew. Play it. Mind God. <laughs> Mark Watney's still alive. Woo! In your face, Neil Armstrong. We left him behind. Let's go get our boy. This is something NASA rejected. So we're talking mutiny. And if we mess up the supply rendezvous, we die. If we mess up the Earth gravity assist, we die. It's space. It doesn't cooperate. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Gonna say this is it. This is how I end. Is it possible that he's still alive? All right, let's get into it. So we start. It is Soul 18 of the Ares 3 mission. I took notes today. The book is Soul 6. It's, ooh. <laughs> you also took notes. <laughs> and I feel like they start in the same place. They just kind of crunch the time. Yeah, yeah. It still starts with uh, Sandstorm. Mm -hmm. um, things are uh, a little more bleak than they expect them to be with this storm. Um, we need to get off the planet because the MAV, our escape vehicle, basically, is going to tip. So everyone to the MAV. Everyone except our hero, botanist Mark Watney. Uh, botanist and mechanical engineer. See, I didn't notice anything in the movie that specifies he's a mechanical engineer, even though he does a lot of engineering. I do remember that from the book, but I couldn't remember what his his um, redundancy was. Because every yeah, everyone has a redundancy. He also talks about how uh, he has some minor redundancy with chemistry. And yes. he makes a joke about how NASA just assumed that all of the other sciences were the same. <laughs> oh, I love his jokes in this movie. Um, we'll get to it. So, uh, Sandstorm, a <clears throat> uh, piece of the communication satellite, which is important, yes. impales him in the stomach, piercing his biometric readers, and he is left for dead on the planet Mars. Completely alone. Start of movie. Let's go. So I do want to say, real quick, before we really get into it, when I was really little, I wanted to be an astronaut. I don't know if I've ever told you this. It tracks with who you are as a person. That's fair. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then I specifically remember one day, uh, my mom said something about it. And I said, oh, I don't want to be an astronaut anymore. She asked me why. And my response was, I don't want to get sucked into black holes. <laughs> Bill. I know. I know. So sad and so stupid. And uh, seeing this movie, I don't want to be an astronaut. I don't want to be stuck on a planet alone. I'm too claustrophobic. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I can't even do mission space. At... <laughs> that's, the, that's the squishy one yeah. at Disney World, right? It's one of my favorite rides. <laughs> it's so much fun. 
And I didn't realize it was going to trigger my claustrophobia until we were in it the first time. But we're not watching or talking about nope, a movie that's based on that. That's a different movie. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Oh, there's a movie based on that ride. Oh. Oh. Oh, the pain on your face. Disney, why? <laughs> Disney, stop. Disney, like early aughts Disney, why? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about this because at least that's better. So Mark Watney is alone on Mars. Yes. Um... Great scene where, uh, it reminded me of the scene where, uh, De Niro removes the bullet from himself in Ronin, um, when he pulls the, uh, comm out of himself, gets a little chunk out of it, staples himself together. We, it is two sentences in the book, if that. It is a great scene in the movie, and that depresses me that it's only two sentences. He, he very much glosses over it. It's sad, because it's such a cinematic bit. Like, it shows, like, how alone he is. Because he's got to do the surgery in a mirror. Mm -hmm. He's got the equipment in front of him, but he's, like, in pain. He shows all this pain in his face. Uh, Damon's performance in this movie is incredible. Like, you disagree. I don't think Damon was a good choice. Okay. I don't think he has the right kind of charisma. I want someone that is likable, and I don't think Matt Damon is likable. Please oh. do not, please do not come after me. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to come after you now, but after the <laughs> mic's off. <laughs> he, he, I remember being very charmed by him and surprised by him when I watched the movie, but Mark Watney in the book is a dweeb. Oh, he's a total nerd. I guess, yeah, some of that is lost a little bit. I, I see your point. I see your point. Like, I, I can't tell you who I think would be a better Mark Watney. I just, I don't think Matt Damon is, is right. What about, oh, Ryan Reynolds? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know why that's the name that came no. to mind. I thought you were going to say Ryan Gosling, because I also thought that, but he's too... He's too, he's too clean? He's not, I don't like him either. He's I not likable. <laughs> I can't imagine him emaciated and naked at the end, though. Christian yeah. Bale? No, 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 he's too, you, you need someone young, like relatively young. This is a discussion for later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he's done a little surgery on himself. He starts his journals. That's how we get most of the story for like the first act. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Daniel Radcliffe. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Dweeby, likable. Yeah, charismatic, I smart, yes. funny, yes, believable. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, please Anywho. continue your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so Watney is going through. Um, he does his journal entries. That's mm -hmm. how we get his side of the story for like most of the first act. Is it made explicit? Like he's filming himself, right? Yes. It's like video. It is. He explicitly says that he's writing or typing in the book. I'm okay with that change. I think the reason, like. I think Andy Weir is very careful with a lot of choices he makes to deliberately date stuff that he does so that the book will be relevant for longer. Because mm -hmm. if you say, oh, there's a lot of 70s TV and you act as though that's old, you're going to be relevant for longer than if you do something current. Yeah. Um, I, I Something I recall from the book is he made sure to make the science as accurate as possible. Or at least it seemed that way. So I could see yeah. in the book... Uh, the choice of writing is it takes up less data on whatever server that's being saved on. Oh, it's not even that. It's, um, because it, the, the stuff is like, um, at least like the pop culture stuff, 
the data sticks and all the other personal effects that are given by the crew. Mm -hmm. Um, that's all their choice. Yeah, and that's that's clear in the movie as well. Yeah. Um, with uh, Commander Lewis and her disco albums. Does she also have just all of the 70s TV? There is a scene where he's watching uh, uh, Happy Days. I almost called it Family Guy. <laughs> and that's not right. And, and he does the Fonz pose when uh, they take the picture of him. I... Yes, because Annie, the PR rep, is like, I, I ask for a picture and you give me the Fonz. No, that is line for line in the movie. <laughs> Like, word That's for word. Maya Rudolph, isn't it? Uh, no, it's, um, Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig. Oh. Kristen Wiig. I feel bad for... It's because of the good place. Yeah. So he, he does these journal entries to, um, tell the story through the first act. And one of the first things he does is take inventory. He, he recognizes, I'm alone on this planet. I'm going to be alone on this planet for a long time. Let's take inventory of what I have. This is how many rations I have. This is how much... XYZ I have wait a minute do not open till Thanksgiving raw potatoes does he not know about them it's I I'm not sure it's not clear in the movie if he knew beforehand but he gets to that box that says do not open till Thanksgiving goes screw it you know pop it open there's sealed raw potatoes in there he in the book they explain that they were told about it because it was going to happen over Thanksgiving yeah so they um sent the potatoes up because he talked over and over again. He talks about how NASA is all about why are you going to waste space or, mm -hmm. or anything trying to preserve these items when you could just freeze dry them, whatever. Um, but he talks about they, the shrinks at NASA, as he so kindly calls them, said <laughs> it would be a good bonding exercise for the crew to make an actual meal together. Okay. So that's the reason in the, in the book. I don't, I don't think it's necessary in the movie to have like a specific reasoning like that, but just those simple written on the lid, do not open till Thanksgiving, and inside, a dozen potatoes. Perfect. Yes. So, him, being a botanist, goes, scoops some dirt in, soil, plants the the potatoes, realizes water's an issue, because I guess he's a part-time chemist and mechanical, mechanical engineer? Yes. Mechanical engineer goes, okay... If I burn some jet fuel just right. So they don't even go into, um, like, the the poop stuff. Oh, in the book they don't? No, I'm saying do... Oh, no, the they do. do they. they do, because he, 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 he's taking a shit when he realizes, <laughs> oh, that's what I could... I think he takes the shit, and then he gets the, the potatoes. He, he gets, yeah. And that's when it all comes together. So he collects everyone's poop. I think he complains about someone's, like, Johansson's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> poop smells extra bad when he's using it. The thing is, in the book, they're also like, I, uh, I don't need the bacteria, but I need the complex proteins from it. Oh, I, I think we as the audience of the movie just yeah. understand, okay, poop's a fertilizer. Yes. Got it. I see what you're doing here. So, he does do the poop. Gotta make water. Um, blows himself up once. That's I like... I wrote down exactly what he said. I want to say that's like 50 to 75 pages into the book. That's, yeah, Soul 41 is what I have written down here. He blows himself up. Mm -hmm. um, but second time, he accounts for uh, his own oxygen. He calls himself stupid for not thinking of it, which is hilarious, because he's doing something well beyond is, the intelligence of most people. Is he wearing um, gear when he does it? The second time, he wears uh, the helmet. In the book, he's wearing gear the whole time, but he's not wearing full gear. And he realizes that it's not a perfect seal, and that's where mm. all the oxygen is coming. You know, the first time, he's just... I think he has safety goggles on. 
<laughs> so yeah, stupid, stupid, Mark, stupid. Um, starts growing his potatoes, um, and this is then the first time when we cut back to Earth and see what's going on down on Earth. Yes. And NASA's giving a funeral for him because yes. you know left for dead on this planet, and then our uh, in- intrepid journalist reporter. Detective? Detective's the word I'm looking for. Um, Mindy Park. Oh, she works for NASA. She's, she's, she, works for SAC, she works for in SATCOM for NASA. Okay. But she does like a little detective work and notices, oh. oh, the layout of the camp has changed since they left. Yeah. He's still alive. Do they go into anything about like, do you see the, the people at NASA making the argument for why they should or shouldn't look at the campsite and that kind of thing? Yes. Okay. They, they go into that um, because they, the, um, all the pictures that are taken by that satellite must be made public within 24 hours. Yes. Because of the kind of organization that NASA is. Yeah. So they don't want pictures of that site because they don't want to broadcast to the world a dead body. Yes. Whereas, um, I want to say it's Vincent, is it Vincent Kapoor? Uh, Venkat Kapoor. Okay. Where did I get Vincent from? Um, Kapoor, uh, wants to take advantage of the fact that there's still a bunch of materials on Mars to plan a sixth Ares mission. Yes. They don't want to waste all the, uh, resources that are already on the planet. Let's schedule another mission. We need to check out the site first. And that's where... Teddy is the, the, like, uh, Teddy Sanders is the director of NASA. Okay, yes. He, he's the guy that is, like, kind of halfway between Venkat and the JPL guys and everyone else and Annie, because he realizes, like, the PR stuff that they have mm-hmm. to deal with, and, like, it seems at every turn, like, every decision that he makes is questioned, whereas you don't really have the stuff from, like, Venkat can make a decision, and it's not necessarily going to be questioned, whereas when Teddy does it, it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's an Because he's, like, the director of NASA, as opposed yeah. to just the director of the Mars missions, yeah. which is what Kapoor is. Yes. Um, so they come to the realization that Mark Watney's still alive and they ask the question, what is he going through? What is going on in his head? And this is one of like the three things I remember from the book that changed from the movie and it pisses me off. Cause in the movie, they're like, what is going on in his head? What is he thinking about? And they jump cut to Mark Watney on Mars saying, I am going to die up here. If I have to listen to any more disco music, complaining about Commander Lewis's disco collection. What's the line in the book that's way better? Teddy swiveled his chair and looked out in looked out the window to the sky beyond. Night was edging in. What must it be like, he wondered. He's stuck out there. He thinks he's totally alone and that we all gave up on him. What kind of effect does that have on a man's psychology? He turned back to Venkat. I wonder what he's thinking right now. Log entry, Soul 61. How come Aquaman can control whales? They're mammals. Makes no sense. I love that joke so much. It's so funny. <laughs> it's such a good joke. It's such a good joke. And it's, it's not in the movie. He's such a nerd. He is. But like they gave his nerdiness to uh, Beth Johansson in the movie. Because she's the one with like... She's the coder. Yeah. And, and like her, her personal laptop when he goes through it has like Zork... And this was like Bikini Babes from Venus or some other like horny game or something like that. And like she's given like the attributes of the lonely person it, or, the, or the nerd, I guess, like the, the geek. My biggest complaint from what I recall is that 
the movie turns Mark Watney into a hero, whereas the book, it's about the ensemble. And we'll get to that at the end. Because, oh, I have words about the end. (laughs) (laughs) So, how does Watney proceed from here? He realizes that there are more supplies at this other crater on Mars, which has already been set up for the next Ares mission, which is in a few years. Yes. It's 3,200 kilometers away. It's going to take him 50 days to get there. And his rover is not does not have the capacity for that. He could do maybe, I think he says, 15 kilometers one way before he has to recharge or something like that. It's, it's a really short uh, yeah. distance and period of time. Yeah. So to expand on that, he realizes he could turn the heat off. Mm-hmm. But then it's really cold. So he digs up the nuclear reactor that got them there. Yay! <laughs> so now he's warm. Terrifying. He's dying of cancer as soon as he gets back to Earth. The Meanwhile on Earth, recognizing that he's alive, they contact Bruce over at JPL. Yes. And they give him an unreasonable time frame to send a probe full of supplies up to Mars. It's like 48 days or something. I have three months written down. Well, that so, doesn't include the... Sorry. It, that yeah. comes in later with the, 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 the 14 days. That, the safety checks. That yeah. changes later. Yeah. Um, Watney decides... I need to find a way to contact with NASA. How can I do it? Can't fix the comm satellite because part of it is broken inside of me. Um, and I think it was relaying through Hermes. It's not clear in the movie how they were communicating from the base to Earth prior to, but I believe it was relaying from the HAB to Hermes and then to Earth from there. Yes. Okay. Because Hermes and the HAB are only like a couple of milliseconds off time-wise and there's like a... A 12-minute delay, 12 or 17 minutes? Uh, it's 12 minutes. 12 minutes each way. Okay. That's that's specific. Yeah. Um, and I think scientifically accurate, if I'm not mistaken. So what he does is he recognizes that uh, the Pathfinder probe that was shot to Mars in the 90s still there. No one would have taken it away. So he hunts it down. Yes. And as he starts driving, they're tracking him on the satellite and go, where is he going? They also figure it out. So... Um, Kapoor rushes to JPL, they bust open the replica from the 90s, they bring in all the old guys that are still there from, from 97, that can work the thing, they pop open the computers that I was using in middle school. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's a great touch that I love in the movie, the detail of the computers that are connected to Pathfinder are, like, old, like, thick monitor Dells, yes. large towers, cheap, running on, like early Apple, like, it's a great little touch there. Um, he finds Pathfinder, gets it back to base, puts a new battery in it, gets it up and running. At first, all he can do is a question and then a yes or no when they point the camera to, to answer. He already solves that before, um, in, in the book, he has already realized that's going to be a problem, mm-hmm. and so he has everything prepared Oh, he does not. He solves the problem once it uh, once it occurs. Because he uses ASCII, right? Um, yeah, ASCII or uh, hex. He uses hex uh, code. Yeah. Um, to communicate, and it's it's pretty quick in the movie. They uh, teach him how to hack the OS of the rover. Yeah. To use Pathfinder to communicate. Yeah. Um, which streamlines everything. Yes. He's finally, uh, you know, communicating. Um, the first thing that he says when he finds out. Uh, that the crew doesn't know is what the fuck, <laughs> and the world sees it. Yes, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I believe in the in the book he says what the fuck is wrong with you, 
And uh, that's when Venkat tells him that, uh, yeah, this is being broadcast to everyone. <laughs> yeah. You need and to I, watch your language. And I think he replies with something also vile. Yes, he does. <laughs> but we never see what he says. In the book, I think he drops the F-bomb again. Oh, he absolutely does. Um, so it's been four months. The crew is on their way back. Yes. It's the first time we retouch with them in the story. And there's a is whole... Is when they find out. There's a whole struggle in the novel that's going on um, between Teddy and Venkat and the third guy, not Bruce. There's a third guy, Mitch. Mitch. Mitch is the the other mission. Oh, the flight director. Yes. Yeah, Henderson. Because Mitch immediately is like, you need to tell the commander that this happened. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, because we have no way of rescuing him and we have to get them home safe first. And so finally it gets to the point where Venkat goes out of the country for some reason and so Mitch corners Teddy and is like, we're telling them. And Teddy's like, yeah, whatever. The argument's in the movie, but the resolution of it is not. Oh. We just get the, um, uh, the crew gets a, a video message basically explaining to them. The, in the book, you also get, when they find out, you get the, what happened on Soul 6 from their point of view. Ooh. Um, and you see, like, how hard Commander Lewis looked for him and how hard everyone else wanted him to, like, they, um, the Mav actually tips too far and they, they burn excess fuel to get it to stay put at a, at an angle. That's all so in the opening can, scene. Yeah, yeah so they, she can look longer. Um, her, uh, Martinez, uh, buys her some more time by doing that. Yes. Um, to try and get everybody off the planet. Who are the, so you've got Martinez. So you got Martinez, the pilot, played by Michael Pena. Okay. Um, Vogel is the German guy. Vogel's the German guy. Um, uh, who's the chemist? Beck. I don't know what his position is, other than love interest for Johansson. That's Sebastian Stan. Sebastian right? Stan, yeah. Um, Beck is the... I know he's the EVA specialist. Okay. Um, and I think... Vogel might also be the geologist. I can't remember what else Beck does. All, all Vogel does in the movie is uh, chemistry, because he makes a bomb at one point. Yes. And I think he does, like, navigation. Yeah. Um, and then, so, and then Johansson is the, the code, the, yeah. the programmer. Mm -hmm. Um, so they find out that Watney's alive. Lewis takes responsibility. The, uh, the other thing is that Martinez and Lewis are both former military. Or current yes. military. Uh, they are military because they risk court-martial when they mutiny later. Yes. Mutiny. Because Commander Lewis is, like... When she finds out, she's like, I abandoned him on Mars. And, like, Martinez is, like, trying to get her to not... Mm -hmm. And Watney also makes clear multiple times that he's like, oh. you did nothing wrong. Exactly. You that's, did what you were supposed to do. That's clear. When they're told by um, uh, Henderson, Henderson makes it clear to them that Watney does not blame them. Yeah. That w Watney understands that they did what they needed to do. They assumed him dead, and they were right to assume him dead. Yeah. Um. So... Uh, after this, he's living on Mars. He's farming. Yep. He recognizes that um, he's officially a colonizer because he has planted uh, crops on this land. He has created fertile soil. Yep. He has colonized Mars. It would be a white man. <laughs> um, this is when he does the Fonzie pose. Ugh. And then this is when the hab blows up. So the book does something interesting where it switches between points of view 
everything from Mark's point of view, or almost everything from Mark's point of view, is the the entry logs. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a sort of limited third person when you're on Earth or with the the crew. And then you also have omniscient third person. And that's when you know bad things are going to happen. Oh. It trains you that whenever you see it switch to omniscient third person narration, you're like, oh, I'm getting backstory on why this piece of critical equipment is about to fail. So throughout this chapter, it's splitting between Earth, Mark, and... Um, the omniscient narration explaining how the hab is built and it talks about how when they put it together there wasn't quite enough canvas for airlock one so there was a micro tear that was hidden by the way they stitched it together and it talks about how that widens every time he goes through that airlock oh oh in the movie it just explodes for no reason yeah, it's, it's because he's using the same airlock constantly, and there was a failure that there was no way for them to see. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I was actually wondering that watching it this time. Like, why does it explode? I'm sure it's explained in the book. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but it explodes. Yes. And it ruins his crops. Yep. Soils toast. Yep. He's done. What he's got is what he's got. He needs to live on that. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where, uh, the I think you said 48 days... Or 47 days for Bruce to get the uh, the probe ready? Uh, something this like is, that, yeah. This is where that comes into play in the movie. That's when he gets that time limit. Yeah. Um, which is something that they normally have years to do. Yeah. So they're all working overtime at JPL. Um, crew finally contacts him at this point. Yes. The crew of the Hermes. Um, and this is also where we meet, uh, I believe is uh, Rich... Purnell? Rich Purnell is a steely-eyed missile man. Rich Purnell, that man smells terrible. You can see how bad he smells in this movie. Honey, tread carefully. <laughs> he is played by Donald Glover. Yes, I still would. <laughs> I would just need like a little like something under vapor the nose, rub. a little vapor rub, a little like spray some Axe or something. Got to cover it up. A little, little Febreze in the in the room. <laughs> That that smelly man is attractive and smart, and he's he's only in the movie for like three scenes, maybe. He's barely he, in the movie, but he steals it. It is the turning point of the book. Yeah. Um, also, he um, has the launch already happened because the launch happens before the Rich Purnell mo- maneuver in the book. Um, we meet Purnell before the launch. Okay. Um, he's he's asked to confirm the flight path for the probe. Yes. The first probe. Uh, spoiler. Um, and he confirms that it's right. And then he just like offhand is like, it would almost be easier to, and then face drops. I need more coffee. And his boss is like, you know, I'm your boss. And he's like, yeah. And he just starts working on his, on the maneuver, which in, gets explained a little bit later on. In the book. Uh, you're right. That does happen before the, the, the Iris probe. Uh, disaster spoilers um and then the second time that we see him he's the boss is yelling at him and his boss is like hey you have not been doing your work and he's just like is it a good time for a vacation sure rich now's a great time he's like and then he turns back to continue working on it and he's like aren't you gonna go home he's like i'm on vacation (laughs) that's incredible and not in the movie and i would have loved that (laughs) (laughs) that's so good yeah um so at this point watney is stretching out his rations He's eating, like, two-thirds of one-third of one meal every day, plus a potato, which he's now dipping in Vicodin 
because uh, he's out of ketchup. <laughs> um, in the book, he starts out assuming he's going to eat three-quarter rations because um, all the math is in there, but basically yeah. there was redundancy for 56 days for the whole crew, and because there's only one of him, he can stretch that out to 300 days. If he does three-quarters, he can yeah. 400 days, and then supplementing with potatoes. and That's earlier on when he's taking inventory of everything. He yeah. does that math. They never specify in the book. They talk about stretching his rations, but they never specify in the book exactly what the terms are that he... There, how little he's eating. That's an addition I like then, because they, they show him... Like, he's doing this in the log. And he has, it looks like a, a small loaf of bread, basically. Yeah. And he's like, this is one meal, one one ration, one meal. I'm supposed to have three of these a day. And he cuts it in thirds. He's like, I've been eating one third of this every day. And then he cuts a third off of that. He's like, now they want me to do this. And it's, it, it humanizes him in a way. Because he's not like a Superman in this movie, but he's like wicked smart. Yes. Um... So, so he's doing that. Um, they're trying to launch the probe at the same time. And this is where they realize that their rations, they picked the wrong kind of ration. It liquefies in the launch, causes a shimmy, and the probe explodes. So in the book, it's not only the shimmy that does it. What happens is because they sped it up and skipped safety checks... One of the bolts has a minor imperfection, and Ooh. that's where the that impact of the liquefied protein, um, that's what shatters the bolt and causes the the probe yeah. to explode. That's one of the few. It's one of the three things I remember from the book. Is is that chapter that uh, third person omniscient narrated chapter that specifies how exactly this rocket is falling apart? Uh, the end of that chapter is just Venkat and Mitch and uh, Teddy. And, um, you ju it's just, like, explaining, like, uh, you got, con uh, you've got confirmation of there's, um, debris in the ocean at the last approximate site of Iris, um, and we have confirmation, call it, and, like, Teddy pulls out the red folder with the bad speech, and the last line of the chapter is just a message from Mark, and it's just, so how did the launch go? And at this bleak devastating moment where Watney is left without hope. I have a surprise for you. Oh no. <laughs> we have an advertiser. Oh no. <clears throat> Today's episode of Soon to Be a Major Motion Podcast is brought to you by the Watney Family Organic Martian Potatoes. Watney Family Potatoes are homegrown on Mars using organic fertilizers and are fully farmed by hand. Delicious no matter how you prepare them. Mashed, scalloped, or even just dipped in ketchup and crushed up Vicodin. Only $3.99 a pound, plus shipping and handling. Please allow 19 months for delivery after order. Watney Family Organic Martian Potatoes. They're pretty good. Oh my god, no. Thank you to the uh, Watney Family Organic Martian Potatoes for sponsoring this podcast. And, uh... <laughs> so who comes in and saves the day? <laughs> so... I should have taken a picture of your face <laughs> The, I believe this is where the Rich Purnell maneuver is brought up to Mitch. No. Not in the no. movie. Oh. This is where China steps in. Oh, yeah. This yes. is where we meet our uh, Chinese, uh, I have Ming and Tao are their names, uh, the C-S-N-A. Um, and they see what's going on. They recognize that this astronaut's going to die. Mm -hmm. In the name of science, let's put aside our differences. We have this booster they don't know about that can help. Yes. 
the Taiyang Shen. Yes. And do they talk about what they're going to get in return for... That never comes up. In the book, they're like, we're sacrificing our probe because they have an unmanned probe and their whole idea was to send it into space and this would be like the first Chinese like big thing in space. Um, and they know that the government's not going to give them the money to, to do this again. The booster is, this is their one shot at that. So what they do is they, re what they realize is that they, if they give their, um, the Taiyang Shen to the U.S., they guarantee a Chinese astronaut for Aries, either five or six, um, that they get to pick. Um, they are publicly saving the Americans from a disaster. And there's a third thing, and I cannot remember it off the top of my head, but the, the joke is that shaming America, they would sell their own mothers for that kind of publicity. Incredible. <laughs> it's, it's done out of like the Brotherhood of Science in the film. Yes. Um, but like, there's like pictures on on time of Bruce and the the Chinese space program. Yeah. Doing their thing. And they the other thing is that the time crunch for the Taiyang Shen is now twenty eight days instead yes. of the already astronomically tiny sixty three. Yeah. So they have twenty eight days to prepare this probe. Yeah. Um, and then this is where Rich Purnell comes in and explains his maneuver. Which basically involves the Hermes, which is still en route back to Earth with the uh, original five surviving members of the uh, Sandstorm on it. Instead of slowing down, which they've already begun to do, to arrive, they speed up, slingshot around Earth, NASA fires this probe, they catch the probe full of more supplies, mm -hmm. back to Mars, swing around Mars, where Watney jumps off the planet, gets caught by the Hermes, and then they come back to Earth. And I believe it adds like 19 months to their journey or something like that. The entire, 500 days. Yeah, it goes from like a 383 day mission to an 898 day mission. Yeah. So presented with these two plans, uh, the director of NASA says, uh, no, I'm not risking six astronauts. I'm only risking one. We're going to launch the probe directly to Mars. Watney will survive long enough. We'll get it there. Um, Purnell and the flight director uh, decide, no. We're going to sneak the information about this plan in uh, a file that's labeled a picture of your kids to um, Vogel. Unzera Kinder. Yes. Which he knows it's not accurate because he and his wife call their kids the Offen, which means the monkeys. That's adorable. <laughs> not in the movie. He's just like, I have this picture of my kids I can't open. Johansson, can you help me? And she's like, it's because it's a text file. Let's just decode it. And it's like the details of the plan. Crew sits down. They all unanimously agree. This is mutiny, but we're doing it. Yep. And they speed up. Yep. Um, Johansson hacks the computer so that they can't get overridden by NASA. Yep. NASA realizes we better pretend like we're calling the shots here to save public face. Yep. Henderson, you're resigning at the end of this mission. Um, uh, oh, great bit. The, the scene where they're discussing this plan at first. Uh, Henderson, played by Sean Bean. Of course it's Sean Bean. It's Sean Bean. Um, they make reference to this meeting being called Elrond. Okay, can you I... You know from that movie, The Lord of the Rings? Can I rant about that for a second? Please do. Everyone else in the room gets it except Annie. This movie takes place... Like, this... The events of this movie take place in the near future. This is a universe where the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit movies exist. You've got the Rings of Power. I know that didn't come out when this movie came out, but... 
There is no way that you can be so culturally unaware of the Lord of the Rings that you don't know the name Elrond. Honey, there was a guy the other day who uh, was writing a review of the movie Tetris and hadn't heard of Tetris. Never underestimate the stupidity of people in media relations. Um, fair. Also, there are no consequences for Mitch in the book. Oh, he definitely resigns. He does not get fired in the, in, fired or resign in, uh, the thing. Also, he has an excellent line for, uh, Teddy. Um, because he, basically he and Teddy have the little meeting where he's like, why did you do this? And Mitch is like, they deserve to, to know that this was an option and they, you've tried to go around them at every opportunity. And Teddy yells at him, whatever. And then it ends, and and Sean Bean, Seen Bean, uh, <laughs> Sean Bond, Sean Bond looks at this guy and is just like, "Well, if I wasn't willing to take risks to save lives, I guess I'd be you," and walks Ooh. out. It's definitely different in the movie. Um, he he's approached Henderson's approached uh, by Sanders, and is like, "Why did you do this?" Why did you make this call? I already made the call. And he's like, well, they made a different call. It was their decision to do this. I just presented them with the option, basically. And I accept your, or I, I expect your resignation at the end of this mission, is basically what he's told. Yeah. Um, so they swing around. Um, David Bowie's Starman plays. It's stuck in my head. That, um, he references a David Bowie song in the thing, and they don't use that one? What, what song does he reference? He specifically mentions the David Bowie song... Um, I believe it's Life on Mars. Um, checking the, the star, tra- the soundtrack. Uh, no, not in the movie. He mentions four songs. He mentions by name specifically. Okay. Life on Mars. Nope. Rocket Man. Nope. Alone Again. Nope. And Staying Alive. I think Staying Alive plays. He also mentions ABBA. Oh but no, 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 no! The soundtrack, uh, ABBA's all over it. Um. He uh, mentions turn, ABBA, but no specific songs. Uh, turn the beat around. Hot Stuff, Rock the Boat, Don't Leave Me This Way, Starman, Waterloo, Love Train, and I Will Survive on the soundtrack. He also references specifically Agatha Christie. Uh, Johansson had a bunch of Agatha Christie novels on her data stick, and he mentions the two books, um, Evil Under the Sun and The Mysterious Affair at Stiles. I looked up the summaries of both of them because I have not read any Agatha Christie. Don't come for me. Uh, and I was wondering if Andy Weir would be nerdy enough to make them relevant. They are not. They are standard Agatha Christie. Gotcha. <laughs> None of that's mentioned in the movie. <laughs> um, so as they're swinging around, getting the probe to Starman, uh, the crew gets to have, uh, one last little Skypey with their families. Um, Lewis's husband, uh, got her Abba's Greatest Hits on From vinyl. 1976, the original. The original pressing. Vogel has, like, 17 kids. So many children. He's got like he's got an army. Also, really original Andy Weir. The German family is into soccer. Oh, that's not in the movie. You see them for like once. It's like one frame of his wife, eight kids and his like exhausted wife. His <laughs> wife mentions that their oldest son is the goalkeeper for the high school team. Ah, uh, yeah, she's very upset with him because she's got to be alone with them kids for another two years. Oh. Is, is Martinez's wife? Oh, no, that's Martinez's wife. You're right. She's the one who's mad. Yeah. Because they have a three-year-old at yes. this point. And, and she's like, he's going to be in kindergarten and he will have no memories of you. Yeah. Um, 
which the end of the movie now that you mention that anywho um uh, also johansson's parents we don't meet them you don't see that nope you oh, don't get do anything from johansson or beck other than like a little like fling like little looks beck um is talking to his sister and his sister is like, why do you have to be the one that goes out there on the EVA? He's like, I just have to be ready to do it so that in case the probe misses. Um, and then Johansson, do you get the sole survivor stuff in the movie for Johansson? Nope. So there's a minor subplot in the book. Johansson is picked to be the sole survivor of the mission. And you find this out during these little clips of um, uh, the, the various video calls. Um, because her dad is like, why would you agree to do this? Like, you're, you're never gonna, uh, like, we're, why would you do this to your mother? And she's like, dad, I'm not going to die. And he's like, how do you know that? How do you know that? And she's like, dad, I'm not going to die. I remember this now. That's heartbreaking. And basically what she explains would, in, through implication is that, they selected her to be the person that survives the mission if everything goes catastrophically wrong and they don't get the resupply probe because um, she's the smallest and lightest. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the crew will immediately commit suicide um, so that they don't take up any other resources and she will basically ride Hermes until it comes home. And he's like, well, what happens when the supplies run out? And she's like, Dad, the supplies are not the only source of food. And that's what her dad realizes, and she's like, just don't tell mom that, the, just tell mom the supplies won't run out, okay? <laughs> well, this was a PG-13 movie. It was already two hours 20. So they had to cut something, I guess. <laughs> Lord. So, they get the probe, start making their way. While they were making their way back to Mars, Mark Watney needs to make his way to the Ares 4. This is where we see naked Matt Damon weighing like 98 pounds, his emaciated, malnourished ass <laughs> cross the screen, beard, gnarly teeth. Because we jump, uh, I think the last time we see him is like Soul 186? And this is Soul 2... 461. 461. He... So it's well over a year later. You're with him the whole time in the book, but it's essentially all the mod. It's essentially stuff you've already seen because it's mm -hmm. more modifications he makes to the rover and um, all that kind of stuff. And it's like it's a lot of really interesting science stuff, but it's more of the same in terms of what you would see visually. Like he yeah. actually cuts into the hob and changes its shape. That happens earlier. Oh, does it? Yeah, okay. in the movie at least. They they legit don't they they leave him for a year while they deal with the Hermes stuff, and then when you come back to him, he's skinnier because when you first see him uh, when he does the surgery on himself like he's you know movie star matt damon he's got abs he's ripped he's young he's handsome yeah. at this point he's got a gnarly beard like what's his name um in uh, moon like sam rockwell at the beginning of moon oh okay he's like that he's got the beard he's got the hair he's like covered in spots his his skin is like gray and it's it's gnarly like you see the effects of what he has to put himself through just to stay alive here that's one of the things that I wish you got a little bit more of in the book, is you get a lot of the psychological ordeals, um, but you don't get, like, he doesn't talk about, because he talks about, like, I'm eating enough calories to survive, like, I'm, um, he even is taking regular baths yeah. in the half. 
Um, I feel like I pronounced that word differently every time I said it. Um, Hab, short for habitat. Yeah. And he also, like, he's relative... He also talks about how he's eating full meals. Like, because you're not with him every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about, like, oh, I did this amount of manual labor, so I ate a full ration today. Or I did this, so I did whatever. Yeah. Um, but you don't get, like, the... You don't get the visceral, physical descriptions. Yeah, like, I, I think the mental stuff plays better in the book because you're in his head for so much of it. Whereas in the movie, having that physical representation of, like, it, it reads a little bit better on screen. Yeah. For sure. Because um, you see the ordeal that he has put himself through. Yeah. And he still has to get up every day and maintain everything, make sure that things still running, that he can stay alive. He's still got to work. He can't just relax. Is he communicating with NASA the whole time in the movie? Yeah, once, once he gets the the rover hacked into Pathfinder, yes. In the book, he actually loses contact with them. He fries Pathfinder with the drill after they give him the plans to go to uh, the Chaparelli crater. Okay. He, yeah, it's it's a convenient way to cut him off again. Yeah, I think in the movie he's cut off during the journey. Um, the sandstorm. What sandstorm? There's a dust storm on the journey to Chaparelli. Okay, so we get him leaving, um, explaining that. Uh, According to maritime law, <laughs> Mars is technically international waters. The Hab is U.S. government property. That's U.S. soil. But once he leaves the Hab, in a legal sense, he's in international waters. And because he's not going to have contact with NASA through this journey, he does not have explicit permission to board the MAV at the other end of the journey. Until he gets into until the he MAV gets in and, and turns it on. They give him permission. So he, technically, is a space pirate. Does he also start calling his units of power pirate ninjas? No, but he refers to himself as Captain Blondebeard. Oh my god. <laughs> because he, he explains this to us via a uh, journal entry. Yeah. And then, um, I want to say Henderson explains it to Mindy Park. And she's like, no, I know, he told me. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's telling this to everybody. <laughs> it's great. Um, but he... Does the journey, he drives for four hours, rests for 13 while the batteries recharges, and then moves on. It takes him, what, 50 days? Like he leaves on 461, uh, arrives on 517, so yeah, like 50-some days. In the book, he leaves on 449 because he the flyby is like 564, and he wants to give himself more than 100 days to get, to get there and do all the modifications of the map that he has to do. Um, he runs into a dust storm, and in the book, says he can't communicate with NASA, they can't warn him about the storm. Oh. So he drives a couple days into it, and then realizes it, and actually has, like, a really cool way of figuring out, like, the shape of the storm, and how he gets through it. He leaves solar panels behind, and by testing the differences in efficiency of the solar panels, he's able to determine the shape of the storm and which direction it's heading. That's very cool. It would have made this movie drag so hard in the third act. (laughs) Does he also fall? Does he roll the rover on the way into the Chaparelli crater? No. Okay, yeah. He rolls the rover in in the book. God damn it, Mark. (laughs) Because it's another one of those sections that's um, uh, omniscient third person. Okay. Where it's like describing how the ramp was built and then what happens and then you're like... Mark was driving the rover, and he hit a patch of silt and then flipped the rover. Yeah, no, we get none of that. He's just, he arrives at the rover. 
something else that's fun in the book is that those sections where it's alternating between the points of view, mm -hmm. they get shorter and shorter as the book goes on. So it's, it's building tension and it's really subtly done. So you don't realize it until the final chapter when it's literally paragraph, paragraph, paragraph between. As everything's coming together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Watney gets to the meth. Um, while he was journeying, they realized the amount of fuel on this thing isn't enough to get him into high altitude, high enough altitude to get caught. So he's got to strip the thing of everything. All the equipment inside, all the seats, all the supplies, leave them behind, knock some panels out, take the front off. You're sending me into space in a convertible? <laughs> that line is not in the movie, but he does say, he says, uh, they keep saying you're going to be the fastest man to ever travel in space. Now, scientists don't use the word fast when describing space travel. They're using that word specifically to get me to agree with it. Because it sounds cool to be the fastest man in space. And they're right. <laughs> uh, yes. So he straps himself in. The Hermes is arriving. Launch goes as well as it can. He gets knocked out. 12G. He, uh, I don't know if it's made clear in the movie, but he breaks his ribs. He says that. He specifies that he broke his ribs. Which now I'm madder about the thing. Um. Yes. Because he, he says the, the thing about, um, the thing that I opened with, it's, in space no one can hear you scream like a little girl. Uh, that's because... That's why I had no idea what you were talking about when you said that. <laughs> yes, he says that because he talks about how he turned off his mic and shrieked the entire time he's being hauled into the ship because of his broken ribs. Okay. So, in the movie, uh -huh. um, he gets up there. They realize that the, um, he is going to be... Like, multiple kilometers away. I have it written down. There was an issue with... They realize he is going to be 68 kilometers away at the intersect point. The ragtop on the convertible caused drag. That's not explained in the movie. They're just like, oh, he's he's off course. Do you see the flapping... Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I guess I guess it's told. Yeah. Um. So they use extra thrust to bring that distance down to zero... And now all of a sudden he's going like 43 meters per second in comparison to them. Like the limit's 10. So how do we slow down? Let's blow the front off the ship. So Vogel makes a bomb using some uh, kitchen equipment that he finds. Sugar! Sugar and oil and... I oh no, it's straight up just sugar. It's, we see him pour sugar in and he has a couple other ingredients. I don't recall off the top of my head. I didn't write it down. Um, but they blow the airlock off. Mm-hmm. Get it to where he's within, I think, like 300 meters of, of the ship. And Mark, in his delirious uh, state, just woke up from being passed out, goes, I can, like, poke a hole in my glove and Iron Man myself. He uses the verb Iron Man. He uses it in the book as well. Iron Man myself to the ship. And Lewis, being responsible, goes, no, we got this. But he does it anyway. He does not do it. it. The exchange as it happens between him and Lewis is, do not do that, it's stupid. That is the third thing I remember from this book. Is that he doesn't do it in the book. Because they're like, it's stupid and you're delirious. Science. Let's do what we can do. And they make it work. But no, it's a movie. You have to have an action scene. You have to have Matt Damon be the hero. And do the hero thing where he... 
he and Lewis fucking Wally each other uh, with his Iron Man hand as she's in the rover thing tethered and they spin a bunch and it looks like they're gonna kiss but they're not and it's very Hollywood and it just pisses me off I the Iron Man thing is stupid I agree that is absolutely them making this story about uh, about Watney being a hero in the book it's Beck Beck is the one who gets him really yes I actually don't mind the change because I get the streamlining of... And that tells the story of Lewis was finally able to bring the person she yeah. left behind back home. Lewis doing it makes sense. Like, it makes perfect logical sense in the movie. She's the commander. It's it's her... She takes the blame for leaving him behind. Yeah. She needs to be the one to get him. Exactly. Completely understandable. How do, how do they get him back in the ship in the book? In the book, um, Vogel and Beck are both suited up basically Vogel is Beck's backup mm-hmm. Beck is tethered and he says something to Vogel he's like if he's not close enough untether me and Vogel's like absolutely not and Beck is like do it I have enough juice to get us back um because he's like a hundred there the tether's like 150 meters or something yeah and so Beck basically does an EVA while he's tethered grabs Watney he um, never untethers no he never untethers oh because there's a bit where Lewis is at the end of it and she says, untether me. And that's when Mark goes, no, and stabs himself in the hand and Iron Man's his way. Yeah. No, uh, they're actually close enough that Beck can get into the, um, modifi- the, the module. brutalized Mav uh, to get Watney. Um, and it's, re- it's actually really intense because it's like, you know how everything in space is like check, uh, mm-hmm. call and response checks? It's like, contact with Watney. And Watney's like, contact with Watney. And everyone's like cheering and it's great. Um, and so they, he actually, Watney is still clipped into his seat at that point too, because, because he was like, I can meet you outside. Like I can meet you on the edge. And Lewis is like, no, stay put until we have you. And so then they get him, they go out through the Mav and then Vogel, um, basically waits until they're equalized with the ship and then hauls them back in. Okay. And that's the end of the book. Oh, it's not the end of the movie. Uh, they, Watney has his whole little speech where he, there's a joke about how bad he smells. Uh, Oh, that's in the movie. Yeah. They, they pull him in and like, like the music is swelling and it's fading out and you hear someone say like, you need a bath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He describes himself as smelling like a a skunk that took a shit on some sweat socks. (laughs) So gross. Um, Alright, who smells worse, Watney or Purnell? (laughs) Uh, so then he has this whole little wrap up at the end where he's like, I only got back because all of earth was rooting for me and China and the U S worked together and helped out. And like my crew sacrificed for me. And it's the end of the book is all about how like, this is, this is an ensemble. This is Watney came home. Not be like, yes, he did a lot of work on Mars, but Watney was not the only one trying to keep him alive, himself alive. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, that's the end of the book is his final thing where he's like, I'm, I'm ready to go home. Okay. Uh, the movie continues actually. Uh-huh. Um, he gets on the ship, they get home and then, uh, every like scene change in the movie, soul, whatever it is, soul 155 pops up on the screen, which I think we should explain probably that soul is like a day on Mars cause it's a few hours more than it's, 24, 28 it's... hours or something. 
Yeah, I think it's only like, yeah, four hours. I think you're right. It's, it's not explained in the movie what a soul means, but we understand it to be a day on yeah. Mars. Um, when he's back on Earth, it's day one. And he's sitting on a bench at, um, I don't know what school he's at. It's but probably- it's basically astronaut school. Um, a bunch of trainees run by him. They all say, sir. He's looking at a plant break through the gravel, and he's like cheerful about it. And then he goes and he teaches his class. He's training new astronauts. And then over the closing credits, we see what happened to various members of the crew. Mindy Park gets a promotion. She's in charge of, I think she's in charge of SATCOM now. Do you get, like, the the um, arc with her over the book? Because, like, when she first starts out, she's, like, really shy and timid. And, like, by the end of the joke, she, book, she's cracking jokes and, like, talking back to Mitch and Bankat and everyone else. She comes out of her shell through the movie, but she doesn't have much of an arc. She's... Other than just, like, job promotions and becoming more important than just... Because the first time we see her, it's like 1.30 in the morning. She's the only person there, and she's just pouring over satellite pictures. And at the end, like she's in charge of that unit yeah. um, for the Ares 4. No, I guess it would be Ares 5. At that point, depending because how Because I think they cancel Ares 4 because how are they getting off the planet? The map's gone now. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the closing credits is the start of the Ares 5 mission. She's in charge of that. Um, Kapoor's still there. Sanders is still there. Henderson does resign. He's golfing. Um... On board the ship is Martinez. Martinez goes back up. Oh. Um, what's her name? Lewis stays home. She's got, you know, a family. Mm-hmm. Um, Martinez also has a family. Yeah. Uh, his wife, Big Mad. <laughs> <laughs> his, his, he might be divorced at this point. He going back up? <laughs> um, Beck and uh, Johansson are together and they have a child. She, like, just had the baby, right? It's yeah, like, like, a she, fresh baby. Like, she's holding the baby. Like, they're in the hospital watching the launch. Um, there's a new flight director uh, that we don't meet. Um, the Chinese um, delegation is in Houston for this launch. So I think that implies that it is a joint project at this point. Okay. Going back to your earlier point. Yeah. Um, and Watney is, is satisfied teaching his kids. Um, and the last thing he explains to them is, like, he's like, this is the first day of class. I'm going to answer some questions up front. Yes. I survived being alone on a planet. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Two, the reason I survived is what we're learning here is that sometimes, yes, you think you're going to die. What you need to do is work the problem. Solve the problem. And that's where the movie ends. And I like the movie a lot. I think it's a very good movie. I, I do love the book, though. He specifies before he gets in the MAV on uh, um, the rescue day that he was down to 41 potatoes. That is how close he came to starvation. Oh, he's got like six months then. The the amount of <laughs> ration he was doing. Does he have any Vicodin left to dip him in? <laughs> he does not. He takes Vicodin in the book, but he does not dip them in the Vicodin. He straights up, like, just crushes up a pill and then, like, takes the, the end of the potato and dunks it in, takes a big bite. I feel like this goes back to the thing we were saying earlier about how the the movie, I get it, you need to have a hero, you need to streamline stuff, but it really does feel like they made Watney, like, they turned Watney into Hermione from the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of takes away from the other important aspects of the book, because when you have a superhero, why are you... Yeah, like, from my memory of the book, and it's been probably eight, 
years since I read it. Yeah. Um, it was very pro science and pro like NASA in general, but also like it felt like a thesis of the book was one man can't do it. Exactly. And the movie does kind of lean more towards a one man kind of can. Yeah. Like. Um, yeah. To to an extent though, because there is a scene um right before the hab blows up, where he explains uh that or somebody explains that the um NASA has a team of botanists trying to help him manage his potatoes, and he keeps telling them uh in different words to go fuck themselves. Yep. Um. And they're mad because he is very good at his job. But also immediately after the hab explodes. Yeah. And because we don't get the thing about the micro tear in the movie, I was believing like, oh, maybe he did do something wrong. And we just don't, we don't know what it is. It is actually like implied, and maybe I'm just reading into this too much. The way that that chapter is written, it's implied that his constant communication with NASA is part of the reason the airlock explodes when it does. Because, because he, he has to keep going out to the rover. Exactly. That makes sense. Because he used to only be going in and out maybe twice a day, and now it's like five or six times a day. Mm -hmm. And so it's every time he's doing that, it's constant stress. So it's there's like an implication. There's definitely like, it's definitely a pro-science, pro-smart people, pro-working the problem, but it's also... Sometimes bureaucracy is not what you need. Mm -hmm. Like clearly, he's kept himself alive this long. You don't need to interfere that much. Yeah, like in a life and death situation, bureaucracy can get in the way. And I think that's a, that's exemplified by the character of Teddy as well. Yeah, like Teddy is the bureaucrat. He's like he's the one that has to answer to the government. He's the one that is like the face of the organization. Um, and he's the one who everyone gets mad at, no matter what decision he makes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so what were your thoughts on the book? I really like it. Okay. Um, I really like it. It's it's very... It's accessible because he makes a lot of... Um, it, it's pretty... It, it's pretty basic, like, scientific concepts, but he explains, like, a lot of the terminology, um, and he does it in such a way that it's, like... He, he's very smart by using, like, a mechanical engineer and botanist to be the one who's like, okay, so I had to learn this, so I'm going to make sure that you know what it is because I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of layman, um, I mean, expert, but expert layman. Yeah. <laughs> like, not the most experty expert. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a brilliant movie. For a, for a debut novel? Holy cow. It's, yeah. It's a excellent debut novel it's a it's a good really good book it's a yeah. really good movie yeah i honestly recommend both the yeah the way they shoot mars in this movie is absolutely stunning um i say shoot mars as if they send a crew and like <laughs> <laughs> the like it's it's eerie and haunting and beautiful and there's, there's a scene where he explains that, like, some days he would just go out and stare into the horizon because he could. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. And, it, and it, it's why I brought up earlier that I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. It, it reawakened a lot of those feelings of exploration. And uh, to steal a bit from the Truman Show, uh, it's not a good time for explorers. We've already explored everything. 
What's the, is the... I can't remember the actual line, but... When she pulls down the map and she's like, See, we've already found everything. There's nothing left to explore. <laughs> um, and it's like, there's still space. And there's still so much. Like, there's a whole planet there. And he's alone on that planet. And there's still artifacts. And, and that's another thing I really like about it is um, the leaving of artifacts. Like, he finds the, the old Pathfinder probe. Yes. But he's also leaving... He leaves a note in the rover... That's like, to whom it may concern, this rover saved my life, Mark Watney. Like, he signs on the wall of the Hab where he marked off how many souls he was there. And it's it's fascinating because, like, there's a far future where Daddy Elon finally coloni- colonizes Mars... I will and not be going to a Mars that is colonized by... <laughs> all of the all of the Martian Elonites uh, go visit the Hab and pay tribute to Mark Watney, the greatest American hero... Because we live in a hellscape. Uh, it's something that's, that's... Do they explain the significance of any of the naming conventions or anything in the movie? Like Hermes, Ares, Iris? No. They're just named that. So, uh, in the book... They, I mean, like, Hermes and, and Ares, they don't explain, but they explain Iris because that's when they're for still communicating with him. Mm-hmm. Um, Iris is the... Uh, Greek messenger god. She is a uh, she's a goddess who gives messages to like from gods to gods. But she's also uh, a messenger goddess in this in a similar way that Hermes is. Okay. Um, and she's also the uh, goddess of rainbows because oh. of how fast she moves across water. She created the rainbows. Mm. Uh, but a lot of the references that a lot of the NASA names and stuff are. Greek gods or goddesses. Apollo, Mercury missions. Yeah. yeah. The the ones that he specifically references here are Polaris, yep. Deneb, Deimos, Phobos, Ares, Hermes, and Iris. Aren't Deimos and Phobos the moons of Mars? Yes, they okay. are. Yeah. Well, Phobos is the, uh, the god of death. Well, Iris they misnamed. They should have called it Icarus. Uh. And on that groan of pain. I think it's time we should wrap this up. So, where can people uh, find you online if they so choose to? If they choose to, I uh, am on Twitter at Pretty Special. That's P-R-I-T-T-Y-S-P-E-S-H-Y-L. I will spell it correctly this time. <laughs> um, and, Mr. Beck, where can people find you online if they so choose to? If you choose to, I am on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd at Mr. Billy Beck, M-R-B-I-L-L-Y-B-E-C-K. Um, say hi. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter for now at soon major pod working on other accounts. Uh, please, uh, stay tuned. Um, we have not yet decided what we're doing next week, so it'll be a surprise. It's a surprise. Keep an eye on the Twitter. I'll drop hints as soon as we figure it out. Um, and on that note, I am craving French fries. This is just going to be a lot of disappointed groans, y'all.